what is it that you're looking for in the world that you ought to be looking for in God? Like, what is it that that you're trying to find in people or your circumstances? Gut, used in reference to a feeling or reaction based on an instinctive emotional response rather than considered thought. Does the phrase, I have a strong gut feeling about this, resonate with you? I am for sure some of you out there, you make decisions based on what your gut is telling you. This is especially true for those in the anger triad of the Enneagram. Eights, nines, and ones all live life through the lens of what their instinct tells them. This week, we continue our conversation on the Enneagram with our guests, Justin and Nicole from the God is a Dad podcast. As an eight and a nine, respectively, we get an inside look into the gut triad and also how the Enneagram helps us in We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And this is episode 66. And today we're talking about the Enneagram Gut Triad, numbers 8, 9, and 1. Today we have a couple guests on the show. We have Justin and Nicole. Justin is a co-host over at God is a Dad. It is a podcast talking about God, parenting, and life. We're really thankful that they took the time to come and talk. Justin is a number eight on the Enneagram, and Nicole is a nine. And then Elaine and I go and we talk about one. Then we kind of bring them back in and and finish up the conversation. We had a fantastic conversation. Uh, Just if you uh, end up being or you already know you are an eight or a nine, this is like a must for you because you get to take just a peek into a couple other people's lives to see how other people of the same type of thinking, uh, just how their their gears turn within them. And they were just very open and honest and just really um, thorough with their explanations of how they have come to understanding themselves better and how they, uh, they behave in certain situations. It's just a great resource for eights and nines out there. And especially eights and nines as parents or in a relationship. There's a lot we talk about there too. It was just a really great conversation. But before we get into today's episode, just a quick reminder, we have a community group where we want to keep this conversation going. Head down to the show notes below, click the link for the Reckless Community and ask to be a part. We would love to have you. Also, if you're getting something out of this Enneagram series, we ask you share it on with a friend. We want uh, people to be able to hear this resource, to be able to get to understand themselves better, to learn how to love others better, to learn how God loves them better, and just for all of us to grow spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. So we really would appreciate it if you would share this on with someone else who you think would benefit from hearing it. Also, we do video now. Head over to our YouTube, and we have clips from this episode Maybe you're coming from YouTube to hear it. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, But we have clips 
from this episode that we're highlighting different topics, different videos. You get to see the faces behind the voices. It's just a bit more intimate setting, and uh, we would love to just have you a part over there as well. And with all that being said, let's get to today's episode on Enneagram numbers 8, 9, and 1, the gut triad. Here it comes. So today on The Reckless Pursuit, we have Justin and Nicole. Justin is a co-host over at the God is a Dad podcast. Uh, how are y'all doing today? Good. Great. So we're going to be talking about the Enneagram. We're talking about eight and nine, and it just so happens that Justin and Nicole are an eight and a nine, respectively. Uh, just share a little bit about your podcast and uh, what you guys do over there at God is a Dad. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's a podcast by myself and two friends, other dads. Sometimes we have our wives on. Those episodes are especially fun. Uh, but essentially, our attitude about parenting is that God is kind of the perfect parent, and that the more we understand what he's like as a parent, the better a parent will become. So we pretty much talk every episode about different situations, different questions that we have and kind of ask ourselves, how does God parent us? And then try to be more like that when we parent our kids. So it's definitely not a show I would say where we're mm, just defining or deciding or declaring what the right way to parent is. Uh, mostly it's kind of like a, a self journey, I guess, uh, as far as us trying to become more like God as parents. So, so uh, Justin, you are the eight, correct? That's right. I'm just going to let you open the floor up with this and figure out or just uh, how you guys found out about the Enneagram, and then we can just kind of dive into what it is to be an eight. Sure. Well, I found out about the Enneagram because Nicole was way – she got really into it. She started reading about it, and it was kind of like something like the, the gates of heaven open, mm -hmm. and she kind of started to see the whole world in a new way. Uh, I was a little skeptical at first because, you know, I've kind of – been around the block with personality types and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah cool. I'm holding a, a new, a new thing, a new way to categorize myself and make myself feel special or whatever. Uh, but I actually, the more I learned about it and the more she kind of told me about it, I started to really believe in it a lot more. Um, because I think it gets some stuff that a lot of the other personality types tests and stuff don't really, they don't, I don't feel like they get at the core of kind of who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like they get more out about your behaviors or your tendencies or whatever, but I feel like this really helped I think it helps people generally understand themselves and why they do what they do, which I think is incredibly important and powerful. So how did you, how did you get into it or hear about it at first? Yeah, I just, I think I just saw it coming up um, through a podcast that I listened to or different friends that I followed on social media mentioning it. And I just heard it enough times <laughs> that I was like, hmm, I better, I think I should look into this. And so I think I listened to a podcast episode um, where an Enneagram teacher kind of went through all nine types and kind of summarized them and whatever. And that piqued my interest enough to do some more like Googling and reading. And, and then ultimately I um, read the book, The Road Back to You and um, yeah, have just found it. Um, really, really helpful to my own um, just growth and spiritual journey. And I think it's really helped our marriage and parenting and lots of applications. Yeah, yeah for sure. I completely agree with a little bit. We know of it so far. It's just like, okay, this is cool. Mm -hmm. And I was a skeptic too in that. I was kind of like, I'm not into personality typing systems. I've, mm -hmm. I've seen enough of these, but I agree. It just something else kind of clicked whenever we started actually researching it a bit more. Mm -hmm. So all right, so let's just go into what it is to be an eight from an eight's perspective. Considering, I know uh, you guys have yeah. kind of a rough rap in the <laughs> Enneagram circle. Do we? Oh, I don't know that. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> what wait real quick can you tell me what are before i tell you uh, just what, what's the eights rep I, I don't really know uh stubborn <laughs> quick to anger confrontational <laughs> just angry all the time abrasive <laughs> you know all the 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 light-hearted emotions <laughs> on the spectrum i mean i guess i guess they do say trump is an eight right so yes. if that's kind of the if that's sort of the yeah the, right okay I, okay I, I got you the thing that i love about the enneagram the most is the, whatever whatever I've read is like the core beliefs and like the core or the core desire and the core fear, right? And the core desire for an eight is to be in control, to be in control of, of things and to control themselves and also control the world around them. So for me, what it showed me is that everything that I do in my life, that's ultimately probably my goal. Uh, every decision I'm making is to try to control something or someone or myself. And so uh, I guess <laughs> that um, I I have focused, I think, a lot of my Enneagram stuff on the the problems that's created, on the issues that 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 is kind of fostered as less than like the strengths. I think I think for some people when they get into the Enneagram, it like helps them understand and like themselves more, and they understand, oh, I, this is why I'm good, or this is why I'm valuable, or why what I believe is valid, kind of. And I have not really approached it that way because. You're naturally uh, very confident. <laughs> I, I totally like myself already a ton. Uh, and, so, and so I don't know if that's an A thing or not, but uh, I didn't need any of that really. What, what I needed from the Enneagram was to show me all of my flaws and why I make them and kind of how to correct them. So I, yeah, I've had a pattern in my life, I think, of especially the people that I'm close to around me is trying to control people in order to get what I want out of life, whether that's affirmation for them or whether that's progress in some way in my life or success or ambition or whatever, I've tried to control a lot of the people around me in order to achieve those things for my own benefit, um, which people don't super love that when you do that to them, you know? So I, I see now uh, that I've, I've hurt quite a few people and that I've at the very least made people feel really uncomfortable around me because I am sort of a, a sort of dominant presence. Uh, that can seize control of something, uh, seize control of the room, seize control of the situation, and not really ever want to let it go. So that's, uh, yeah, that's initially the, the the big takeaway that I had from the Enneagram when I first discovered it was that I need to to uh, grow in letting go, letting go of my own control over situations. What was your initial reaction whenever you read these things about the kind of like, you know, kind of read your mail and how did you initially take that? I, I, think if I think that's a good find. I mean, all, all the other personality type stuff that I have read before, found before, it, it's happened like that every time where I felt like, oh yeah, that pretty much sticks mm -hmm. the box. I had a super easy time figuring out my personality type. I I almost knew it by the, by reading the eight descriptions, like yeah. the eight one word descriptions where everyone mm -hmm. said challenger. I was like, oh, that one's probably me. <laughs> and then I read the first paragraph and I was like, yeah, I, I know what I am. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicole had a lot, a lot different experience. She thought she couldn't decide between four of them for months, I think. Yeah. No. Not yeah, weeks. Um, weeks. So yeah, I was I was totally on board with it. I had no issues, and I was like, yeah, this is this makes sense, I guess, because uh, it was kind of a yeah, I do that, and I'm I'm fairly introspective, and so I I feel like a lot of the motivation stuff that it was talking about, I could pretty quickly identify. Yeah, that is uh, that is why I do things. I don't know I've ever vocalized that before, but yes, that puts into words kind of things that I've felt inside of my soul for a long time, good and bad. After discovering that you're an eight, or I guess actually after like validating that you're an eight, how did that kind of change your perspective of being a, a parent? So the reality is that I can't control anybody in the entire universe except for myself. But 
if I could fool myself into thinking there's somebody I could control, it would be obviously my own children who are, you know, much, much younger than me and much less. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Uh, much, much younger than me but from a parenting perspective. What it has really shown me is especially when I look at God's example, to me, it's clear theologically that he doesn't control us. I know there might be some difference. I don't know, you know, some differing opinions on, on that whole question. From my perspective, it seems very clear that he, he could, and he opts not to control me. So that shows me that, Oh, I probably ought to, to make the same decision with my own kids because I'm not God. And I even, I know even less than he does what's good for them. So that's been like a pretty big, pretty big eye opener. And I've just been able to see a lot more of the ways in which I have been trying to manipulate and get my kids to be the way that I want them to be. Uh, as they've come one by one, I've, I've kind of formed a picture in my head of who I would like them to be to serve my interests, but also hopefully to serve their own. And I've, I've had to kind of tell myself that that's a really horrible thing to do to a child <laughs> and convince myself that I don't actually know at all who they're supposed to be. And that's something they have to discover for themselves. And my role is to facilitate an environment where they can grow into who they want to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's good. So real quick, uh, just for everyone listening, we're just going to read through a few points and you can kind of, um, if you have anything you want to jump in and kind of intersect on here, just feel free to, uh, to, to do so. We're just going to read through like the differences in a healthy and average and unhealthy eight. And uh, you've probably already heard this enough, but <laughs> I'm going to make you sit through one more time. So uh, healthy eights for everyone out there, they make great friends, um, great leaders. They're the champion type who uh, they fight for those who can't fight on their own behalf. They're intelligent. They're courageous. They have a lot of stamina to do what others say they can't do. Um, they understand vulnerability and they embrace it at times. Uh, they learn to use their power in the right measure and in the right times, and they're capable of collaborating and valuing uh, contribution from others. And so, Elaine, you want to go over what average eights yeah. are? So an average eight tends to be steamrollers, then diplomats. Um, they're, they kind of have a dualist thinking of they're either good or bad, right or wrong, um, bright or bleak. Um, they prefer to lead. They struggle to follow and they can use their aggression to emotionally protect themselves. And then, of course, going into the unhealthy side of things is they get preoccupied with the idea that they are going to be betrayed. Um, they're suspicious and slow to trust. They resort to revenge when wronged. They make their own rules and expect others to follow them. And they can cause an equal amount of destruction as well as creation. Their deadly sin is lust, right? And so that can create a very aggressive, confrontational, high-voltage personality. We're not talking like lust in like a sexual way, but it's more of like just this intense confidence. Um, like power. And yeah, this lust for power and this drive. So uh, <laughs> does, that, does that sound right? I, I don't know. Is that is that correct? I know whenever I first read mine, I was like, right. crap, I got to talk about this behind a microphone. That's not fun at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's absolutely true. I mean, I... When I read those healthy stages, I think there's like eight or nine of them on their website or something like that. Uh, I I was shocked at how much I feel like I can at different stages of my life I could identify like when I when I moved up a stage or when I backtracked and like you know re, re reverted back to a lower stage, um, almost to like the year or whatever. I, I could go back and be like, oh yeah, in 2008 I was this, 2010 here, you know whatever. Um, so I, I think it's totally accurate and I think it's really helpful 
been helpful for me as I'm trying to move up, move up levels to realize, oh, so that's what it looks like. Uh, and, and that's, that, those are the, the areas I need to zero in on right now in order to move up in terms of health. So right now, if I was to, if I was to assess myself and maybe I'm overly confident, I think I'm like a level two and I think I'm right now I'm, I'm going through some, some fairly tough stuff I would say in my life that I think has me knocking on the door to leveling up to like the, whatever the level one is. But the, the phrase I think that is on, on their website that really hits me is that I don't have is, is they say uh, that it, for an eight, I think, I think the phrase is uh, they learn to master themselves through self surrender to a higher power. And that's just something, that's just a place I'm not at really with God. And I think I would have said that I trusted God before that I, you know, obviously I believe I've given my life to him and all that stuff. But, but when it gets down to like the nitty gritty of life, like, am I really truly willing to let go of that, that control, that decision-making when it, when it gets to be real, when it actually costs me something. And that's something that I think I've realized, oh, I'm, I'm actually totally not there. And I think that's what's really holding me back from from becoming everything that I guess I'm supposed to be, that I was made to be. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, those stages were a really, really helpful tool for me to lay out like personal growth and progress. So I would definitely recommend anyone who's like doing that is to, is to really try to think critically about yourself and find out where you are because it's, it's a really, I was surprised at how accurate that ladder was. When I first read it, I was like, this is so dumb. This is just like just another segment that they're adding for yeah. some, just to make people feel special or something. I don't know. <laughs> but then I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. When I was in college, I was definitely level five. And then I can tell, you know, whatever it was, it was really bizarre actually how, hmm. I don't know how they figured this stuff out. They, they, yeah. you know, I don't know. Like, how they, <laughs> it was like really uncanny. I was crazy. So a crazy. lot of psychology. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of psychology yeah. and a lot of um, tradition and time, I would think yeah. just hashing through mm. all of it. So do you have yeah, sure. uh, do you have a wing? Do you do you kind of navigate or kind of uh, lean more toward either of the numbers around you? Yeah, I would have said uh, when I was younger, I my my natural wing is probably a seven, but then you know the wings are the ones next to you. So I married a nine, and so as soon as I married her, I think she started to it was like kind of a, a fast track to developing that second second wing. So I would say that a large part of why I personally why I feel like I have grown is because I've become a lot like nines are accepting. They're, they're like the peacemakers. They're sort of the antithesis of the eight, which has been interesting being married <laughs> for that reason. Uh, but I think that a lot of my destructive tendencies or my, my hurtful tendencies, harmful to other people tendencies, uh, have been really leveled off and, and, uh, yeah, smoothed out because of developing the nine wing and sort of becoming a lot more open hearted, a lot less certain of myself, you know, a lot more like, the world is not black and white. There's tons of gray and really embracing that happily embracing it. Uh, and also, also realizing that I used to think fighting and arguing was super fun, uh, and energizing. And I don't know, I think because the nine wing has grown a little bit now, I'm just think it's kind of pointless and a little bit exhausting to argue all the time. I still, I still kind of fun, you know, because I still <laughs> am an eight, but, but I can also see, I can also see the futility and the pointlessness of, debating for no reason so and i relate so, yeah, a lot to I, that too because i'm a five um and i can mm -hmm. naturally gravitate toward just kind of the the fear of like sixes that they can kind of like kind of you know kind of grab onto mm -hmm. and that cautiousness yeah, yeah. but she's a four and so like i'm already mm -hmm. a pretty artistic five as is and so whenever i married her i definitely started kind of pulling back toward more of my 
my force. She tries to get me in my feelings a lot, you know, and I'm like, no, I want to think yeah. through this. I don't want to tell you how I feel about it. So I, can, I completely understand that and I can relate. And that's been a big source of my growth, too, is her kind of pulling me back yeah. the other well, way. Kind of the opposite right. for me because I'm a four or five wing. And so like sometimes I'm like, I don't need to feel so strongly about certain things. I don't need to let my <laughs> emotions right. run awry. So yep, uh, totally. a couple things real quick talking about fives. Um, the stress, uh, I guess the direction you point to is a five in an unhealthy time. And so that becomes kind of yep. the investigator, which is kind of my downsides, which is the less connected to your emotions, more withdrawn and um, neglecting to take care of yourself, more secretive and vigilant, stuff like that. But in security, you go to the healthy side of a two, which is more caring. You're more gentle. Don't insist uh, that your beliefs are more opinionated, always correct, those kind of things. And so just to give everyone just kind of like those two things as well in there. And so moving on to this, and this is just really the meat of it to me, how does understanding your number help you fulfill the greatest commandment of loving others and loving God more or understanding how God loves you more. And in that, of course, uh, we always say also loving yourself more because you can't love God's creation if you don't first love yourself. I think, uh, but yeah, just, just first, I, I would say that the, the moment I was sold on the Enneagram, as far as a, I was just totally convinced that it was, that it had value and was really meaningful was, was when it, when I identified those two arrows, uh, and, and saw that mine was a five, because I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah, totally. The only times I'm, I withdraw and I'm quiet or whatever is when I'm under stress. And it was interesting, you know, I've talked with people about it and they're like, yeah, you know, it was funny because normally you're this really confident, aggressive, like overbearing sometimes type of person. But then they'd be like, but then there were certain situations where I'd see you like that. Or I'd, I'd see you the exact opposite. I'd see you more like introspective and, and uh, reserved and kind of like just thinking and taking everything in. And I was like, oh yeah, those are, that's, that, that totally nailed me. And I've, I obviously can tell that I need, I need to become a more caring, open-hearted, you know, uh, type of two. So those two arrows, I think are were fantastic for me to help me again, give me some direction. Uh, first, help me recognize like when I do, when I do retract, that's when I'm under stress. Uh, cause I didn't even really necessarily know that, you know, I just thought, Oh, this is just what I do. But like when I see myself doing that, it's like, Oh, actually there is something going on inside of me that is stressing me out and that probably needs to be dealt with in order for me to live myself. So I think it depends on the person. I think, like I said, I did not have a whole lot of issues loving myself. Um, personally, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't. So, um, I was pretty happy with the way I was already. Uh, so it's really helped me. I think love other people better. I did not know how aggressive I come across, mm. how dominating I could be in conversations and situations and rooms. I didn't know the, the way I think people perceive me. I still don't really probably know exactly like, you know, we're talking and I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you two think of me right now as I'm talking. I don't know if you're like, Oh yeah, he's totally an eight. Like we're already kind of scared of him a little bit. Uh, <laughs> like that's possible. Yeah. And I have no idea what, so sorry, what confident. That's what yeah. I would say. Not Self-aware. scared. Self-aware. You don't come across. Yeah. You definitely don't come across scary. So I would say you're doing a good job of that one, but confident yeah, is the word good. that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, uh, and I think, you know, this has come across, it comes across most, most unfortunately for me with the people I care about the most mm-hmm. being, especially my immediate family and also just friends I've had. Uh, I just, 
I just look back and think about all the ways that I've treated people. And I just think, man, I, I wish I wasn't such a scary person, you know, before I wish people, people probably weren't in, I wish people were not intimidated so often when they're around me, perhaps, um, just because of the way I, the way I am. And I think outside of just, outside of just being an eight, I think the Enneagram has been helpful for me because I obviously valued the way that I was because I was overly confident, but I, but I undervalued the way other people were. And so for me, I think a lot of that helping to love other people didn't come from reading about my type. It came from reading about other people's types and understanding like why a nine, like my wife is really important and really valuable, even though she seems to hold a lot of, a lot of like the opposite values that I do. Uh, but, but her values are equally as important as mine, equally as beneficial to the kingdom of God. Um, I think especially like, uh, fours personally, like when I read the description for fours, I literally said, and this is going to sound horrible. I'm really sorry. I'll, I apologize, you know, in advance, but I said like, I don't understand what's good about this personality type. Like I just read it and I was like, this seems, what is the point of this person? Kind of like, uh, I was like, well, I think what I said was, this is the worst one to be like, if, if you find out you're a four, like this is the worst one. Um, and I'm really sorry. I, I don't think that now. And I've, I've grown no, a lot, yeah. but like, yeah. that's the type of person I was, you know, like, uh, is I just, yeah, I, I believe that kind of stuff. I just made those kind of judgments about people and it was, it was bad. But then, you know, you learn and you're, you learn about all nine of the types. You're like, man, they're all really important, all really valuable in, in lots of different ways. And then you can kind of see, oh, this is why the world needs force. Because, you know, I think probably Kanye West is a four. And I'm like, man, if Kanye West didn't exist, you know, like, gosh, my life would be so much worse because I just think he's liking, you know, and all the artists and the creators, whatever. So I've just grown in my appreciation of lots of other people. And that was kind of hard for me uh, before. To, to see what was good about certain different types. So but you, you were yeah. accepting of yourself, but not necessarily like ex as accepting of the other people around you who like didn't identify as an eight. I think there were certain types that I probably felt were more, were better than others to be, yeah. you know, like I would have, like when I first read about it, I would have ranked them in order of like, these are the best, and yeah. these, are, these are the <laughs> yeah. worst. Uh, and obviously this is, that's a terrible thing to say. And that's so, that's super dumb. And I realize that now, but that's just kind of where I was, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe, I mean, because I just, as I'm growing to, to become more like a two, I'm also learning to have to become more in touch with my own emotions and feeling more. And, and that's what, that's what the force forte. So I was obviously super weak in that. And I thought I was a great person. And so I'm like, well, if I'm a great person and I don't have any of that force stuff, why do I, why are they important? You know, when really the reality was I was super weak in an area that's vitally important mm -hmm. and I just needed to grow in it in order to see the value of a four. Yeah, so that's good. as an eight, you were talking a minute ago about just your spiritual journey and how you are trying to to grow to trust God. And you were talking a little bit about the ladder of those different tiers, like I guess the five through one. And how does the Enneagram help you see God's love for you or help you trust God more? I would take it that um, love is very is more to do with trust in God's situation for you. Is that is that an accurate statement? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, totally. Like I said before, the thing that I like so much about the Enneagram is that it, it gets at why people do things, you know, where they mm -hmm. talk about the basic fear and the basic desire. Mm -hmm. And for me, it helps me understand God's love because like my opinion would be that everyone has a different desire, right? Because of the nine Enneagrams. And so, but God is, because God is, you know, the ultimate source of everything. Like he's the source that's supposed to meet your basic desire. Right. So if my basic desire is control, I, the only way I can find that is in God. And so in like my life is 
every problem in my life pretty much <laughs> comes down to when I try to assume the position of God, trying to control things, trying to protect myself, trying to arrange my life in a way that makes me feel safe, secure, comfortable, at ease, at peace. Um, every single problem in my life comes from that. And so it helps me show, uh, yeah, it helps me see God's love because obviously he's supposed to be that for me. And so, and he, and he, not only he's supposed to, but he, he really wants to be, you know, he wants to be the being that is responsible for everything that ultimately I can always fall back on. Ultimately I can always rely on. Ultimately I can find everything that I've ever wanted in this life from him. And so, yeah, it shows me his love because control is something that I have to give over to him, which feels like a challenge or it feels like scary. It feels like something that, why would I want to do that? But I think what I'm growing to understand is that's actually a, a huge kindness to from by him to, to sort of take on that responsibility. Because like, as I am raising my kids, right? Mm -hmm. you, I think you used to think as a kid that when you grew up, it'd be more fun as an adult because I don't know, you'd have like freedom. You could do whatever you sure. wanted. Yeah, absolutely. What, what I realize now is that freedom just means there's more responsibility. Like yeah. the more you have, the more you, the more choices you can make, the more responsible you have yeah. for your life. And for me, that just creates uh, an excessive amount of stress because all those responsibilities, I look at myself and I'm like, wow, I'm, res I'm responsible for all of that. And if it goes wrong, it comes back on me. And so I am really enjoying the process of becoming more childlike again. Like for me, that's what childlikeness is is it is returning to that place of dad has this dad's got this yeah i don't have to worry about it that's what my kids they don't think about anything they don't worry about anything they don't ever think two more than two minutes ahead of their life because that's my job you know and so the process i'm going through now right now is trying to get back to that trying to get back to looking at my my dad in heaven as the guy who's like i got this and you don't have to worry at all about anything because i'm in control and i'm in control because i love you well that really to me like that speaks to me because like we know some, we have eights in our lives. And honestly, it's one of the personalities that I have a harder time kind of understanding a lot of times, especially because I point to them when I'm healthy. And so like, it's <laughs> coming to me, like, it's like when I'm, it, it deals with me like, oh, well, I have to try to be more like this to be a healthy person. I have to be more outgoing. I have to be more, you know, uh, engaged and, and, and learning from people. And I don't know, like that kind of whole thing can just kind of like get under my skin because it, it challenges me. Right. And so I mm -hmm. think it's interesting to think like you're sitting here saying all of these different things. And I, I, I remember reading that one of the eight big things is they control because they're afraid of abandonment and just going to the mm -hmm. whole idea of God as a father. We talked about a generation that has a lot of, a lot of loss, a lot of broken families, a lot of um, separation. And they just, uh, the father figure, you know, we've been called a fatherless generation or what have you. And, mm -hmm. and we, when you look at that, it's like, wow, that, that's a big thing we all struggle with is the fear of abandonment from God. And just what mm -hmm. you said there is realizing yeah. like, no, he's there. He is mm -hmm. constantly, he wants to walk with you to, to do these very things with you. He wants to see you be able to let go and trust him and say, I've got this. And that's just, that's, that's hard for me as someone who's, you know, kind of on the opposite side of the arrow from you. And so, like, I appreciate you sharing that. Mm -hmm. so, well, it's, uh, my, it's my life, too, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears and go over to uh, the nine, the peacemaker. So, Nicole, you want to just open the floor on that one? So, yeah, I'm a nine. Um, the nines are called the peacemakers. So, 
Um, that's basically my pursuit. <laughs> I'm um, nine struggle with conflict. Um, I really don't like it. I'm trying to avoid it at all costs. And so um, I think nines expend a lot of energy trying to um, avoid conflict. And so that has been a big part of my journey is, um, first of all, recognizing that. Um, and then like kind of just in a different way, like you were just talking about, um, looking to God as the source of peace instead of my circumstances or me trying to, um, yeah, just like make, make, um, my circumstances peaceful out of my own energy. Um, so yeah, Justin mentioned it was my, um, discovery process of the, of the Enneagram and, and what my number was, was not as straightforward. And I think, I guess I've heard that that's, can be typical for nines. Um, sometimes it's difficult to identify yourself as a nine. Um, I think when I first listened to all the nine types, I knew right away what Justin was, and I wasn't <laughs> sure what my own number was. I was, I thought I could be maybe four different numbers. And um, then when Justin, I, I had him listen to you know the the numbers that I thought that I was, and I said, "What do you think?" And he said, "Oh, you're a nine. Like he knew right away. Yeah. <laughs> but still. Um, it took me probably a couple weeks of, you know, reading some more, listening some more to all the different um, ones that I thought that I maybe was to kind of pinpoint it. And that I think is somewhat characteristic of a nine because, um, because nines are uh, trying to make peace and avoid conflict. We have a tendency to merge with the people around us. And so having our own identity uh, is something that we struggle with because whoever we're attached to, whether it's our husbands or our friends or whatever, we kind of just take on the values of that other person because we're trying to please them. We're trying to avoid conflict. And so the numbers that I was considering that I thought I were, were actually like the numbers that my mom, dad, and sister were <laughs> because I probably, as I was growing up, kind of taken on some of their values and had grown to see myself or develop my identity around um, their numbers and kind of taken that on. And so it was a little harder for me to pinpoint myself. Um, but then once I kind of learned more about that being part of being a nine, it kind of all made sense and that all kind of came into light it's really interesting you actually answered my next question already because yeah. I, was, I was curious as to um what those numbers were that you'd be naturally drawn to and why you thought you were drawn to them so that's that's super interesting yeah. so a quick rundown real quick healthy nines natural mediators they value perspectives of other people they're they harmonize with other points of view, unselfish, flexible, and very inclusive people, seldom attached to their own way of seeing and doing things, inspiring and self-actualizing. Elaine, you want to read through average? Yeah, so the average nine, they come off as sweet and easygoing, but they can actually be really stubborn and out of touch with their anger. Um, they often overlook themselves 
and they sometimes feel generally unimportant while other days they wake up and realize that they have that they have the work to invest in themselves and then unhealthy nines um they can be openly more hostile they can kind of what we would call like sleepwalk through life or what uh the road back to you calls sleepwalk through life they can have trouble making decisions they can become overly dependent and they can struggle to maintain the illusion that all is well so just as like a, a window into a nine's mind kind of from like those three stages like an unhealthy and neutral and and a, a healthy place what are some like some of the thoughts you have in some of those different situations I'm going to make you kind of like retrace through life for a second what does that kind of look like? Because as someone who's easily adapt, see, it's easy. I don't have to ask that to an eight because we're going to know what they're thinking. Like they're, they're quick to tell us, right? <laughs> but a nine, it's all, it's more internal and it, and they don't necessarily share that as much until they kind of reach that healthy place. So what are some of those thought processes as you kind of have walked through life, the different things you can look back on and say, oh yeah, I can, I can pick that up. Like that's what I was thinking in that moment. One of the things that really stuck out to me right away um, was just seeing the interplay of our numbers in our marriage. Um, because I am, I am a nine. So I have a tendency to merge Justin as an eight. And so he's very strong and assertive. And so I think before I learned the Enneagram, I wouldn't have necessarily been able to recognize or define like, how our sort of interactions in marriage went, but that's totally like what I did do. I'm working on it, but um, I think I, I took on a lot of just like his ways of thinking and his values and um, kind of lost a little bit of myself and maybe values that I had developed from childhood, I just kind of like became a lot more like him, mm -hmm. um, which I, I share the wing with him as well. So I think some of that has been like really positive in developing some of those qualities of an eight. Um, but like practically um, where it creates a lot of problems in our marriage is uh, I will get scared to just really say what I want. Like if it comes to, you know, we're making plans for a weekend and we're deciding like what we're going to do, I will usually say, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm, I can be very go with the flow. Um, and so I will a lot of times defer, like, you know, whatever he wants to do, I'm good with it. Um, except for sometimes I'm not, but I don't express that. And that's when I get, that's when like the, um, the average, you mentioned stubbornness. So um, that's when that comes out is like, I will on the surface be going with the flow, but inside I'm becoming like stubborn and passive aggressive. And because I do have desires, I'm just scared to express them um, because it can, can lead to a confrontation. And um, so that um, I think has been really transformational in our marriage to recognize that I had that pattern of um just deferring but then that that was ultimately causing problems because i would basically just hold on to things inside until they got to a point of like they had to come out and then you know we'd have like a big fight or something um so just 
yeah, growing in the ability to um, believe that like my desires are important, that I'm important, and being able to express those has been um, really good for our marriage, I think. There, there's been a couple times where she seems so easygoing, but mm-hmm. then there would just there would just become some random and oftentimes there were like mundane situations where she would become ultra stubborn and be like, no. <laughs> and she would just decide to all of a sudden to hold her ground. Yeah. And I could see there was like a lot of really powerful anger behind it. And I was like, who is this person? What is this? Because it's like completely, she's totally not stubborn, totally not angry generally, but then she would hold it in for long enough, like you said. And then mm-hmm. you get to a place where you're like, nope, I'm no longer, I'm no longer easygoing, no longer complacent. And then it was like, this feels like a different person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. How has understanding the nine perspective, like changed your perspective of being a mom and, and specifically a parent and specifically as a mom? Because I know that like in society, a lot of times like mothers can kind of lose themselves in just, you know, having that mom mentality and like losing themselves mm-hmm. of like, this is the only thing that like I know how to do, or this is the only thing that I'm called to do. And like, how is, um, how has that kind of changed like the way you parent as a mom? Another thing that you mentioned when you were reading the description of nines that what is definitely true about me is um, we can be like easily distracted or like whatever kind of whatever's in front of us is what we'll give our attention to. And because we don't, it, it's it's harder for me to have sort of that that identity that that's like almost like my compass of deciding like this is what's important this is who I am this is what I want out of the day um and so we have three kids and they're six four and one so they're still pretty little and so when you have a lot of little kids they have a lot of needs and so I found myself as a mom pretty much just bouncing from need to need to need to need to need and um, almost neglecting taking care of myself. Um, I know self-care is like a totally overused phrase <laughs> now, but, but it's totally uh, applicable to like my growth as a nine mom of little kids. Um, because if I, yeah, if I'm not being mindful of um, just like my my importance as a person to take care of myself and that it's actually I actually can take care of my kids better when I take care of myself first um because when I'm full I can overflow and loving them and um and so yeah I think just recognizing that pattern that I had of um just kind of yeah, just bouncing from from kid to kid to kid, and um, really giving myself um, to to take care of them and meet all their needs. It, I'm just a better mom when I sort of flip that around and have a more healthy perspective. I think it's interesting. You kind of touched on uh, the next point we were going to talk about here. It's just like the the deadly sin of a nine is slothfulness and kind of that that not desiring to get enough out of your day, not being able to focus in and say like I desire this and so you pretty much just hit the nail on the head with with that one so um real quick talking about wings what is your wing which way do you gravitate more towards uh one one okay. the one shows itself in me as I'm 
pretty, um, like a perfectionist tendency is, um, I like to plan. I like to organize. Um, my dad is a one. And so I think I picked up on a lot of that. Like I, I have a lot of the same values as he did because I picked them up from him in childhood. And, um, similarly to what Justin was saying before, I have grown, uh, on the other side, like on the eight side, um, just by, being married to him, but definitely the one, my one wing is, is strong. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, going back, of course, kind of summing it up with this, you, you understand your, your personality a little better. You understand like what you gravitate towards. So as a nine, someone who often neglects themselves, I have a feeling it's probably easy to love others especially when you're in an average or even healthy space like it's easier because that's your tendency your tendency is to adapt to 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 show them um compassion to allow them to to grow you want to see other people do that that's that's kind of what you do ultimately and i would assume that uh maybe it's easier for you to do that towards god to do that towards other people but you can also kind of get lost in their desires and not realize desires for yourself. So is it safe to say, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm completely, I'm, I'm just like analyzing this whole thing. So is it safe to say that like, and I know you said self-care a little bit, a lot of your loving others and loving God starts with trying to show yourself that very same love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So as a yeah. nine, how can you I do think, that stronger? Yeah. So I think, um, Suzanne Seville says that every number has like a lost, I, I don't remember if this was in the book or not, has a lost childhood message, a message that they kind of didn't pick up on in childhood. And the uh, message that nines didn't pick up on is that our presence matters. And so that I think is, has been the key to my growth and self-love um, is just recognizing that God, like actually believing that God thinks that about me, that God sees me as important um, for like me individually, for who I am, not me attached to other people, um, that he like created me uniquely and special and um, that his light in me is like important and that I have some, that I have something um, individual to share with the world and the people around me. Um, And so I think, yeah, for me, that has been the way that I've, that I've grown in, in my understanding of God and also like in relationship with other people is, yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's very easy for me to get along with people. I, it's r- super easy for me to see things from other people's perspectives. Like that's something that I think comes very naturally to nines. Even you can be with two people who have totally different um, perspectives or even perspectives that are in conflict, but you can like see it from both sides. Um, and so, yeah, I think, um, it's, I'm a easygoing, easy person to get along to, but I don't always believe I, I'm 
have struggled in the past and I'm growing in just like truly believing that my my presence matters, that I am important. And I think that I actually, if I'm able to fully believe that, I actually love the people around me better mm, that's than, good. than if I don't, so. Hey everyone, we're gonna bring Justin and Nicole back at the end of the episode. But right now, Elaine and I are gonna talk about ones. Elaine, take it away. So, as always, there's a healthy one, an average one, and an unhealthy one. So, healthy ones, they- Which is the perfectionist. Yes, the perfectionist. So, if you relate to perfection, if you relate to being organized, this is probably your number. And you're probably not listening to this show, to be really honest. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so the healthy ones, they are committed to a life of service and integrity. They are balanced and responsible. They're able to forgive themselves and others for their imperfections. And they're principled but patient with progress. Yep. An average one, uh, they can be judging and comparing. Uh, they can naturally spot errors and imperfections and point them out. They struggle to accept imperfection that imperfection is inevitable and that it's all around us. And they have a fear of tyranny, of criticism. And an unhealthy one? They fixate on the small imperfections. They're obsessed with micromanaging. And they assert control over something, or they like to assert control over people or things. Yeah, and so ones are, um, let's be honest, you know when a one is around because they're going to tell you about it. You're going to see them. You're going to hear them. You're going to know, especially if they're in an average or unhealthy space because anytime you do anything, anytime you have any kind of mess up, they're going to tell you about it. Anytime anything's going a little out of whack, you're going to hear about it. Anytime they think something can be done better, you're going to hear about it. Uh, it was told to me by a one who's very close to me, and I'm going to call him out here on the show. My father is a one, and uh, he's like, I don't know about all that Enneagram stuff, but I was reading it to him. He's like, I don't know. I'm not a perfectionist, Cody. I just want everything done as good as it can possibly be done. And I looked at him like, Dad, that's what a perfectionist is. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like the funniest thing because he was dead serious. He's like, Cody. I'm not a perfectionist. I just want everything to be done as good as it can possibly be. That is the mentality of a one. That is the most one one thing yeah. you could ever yeah. possibly say. And I guess it makes sense that a one is the perfectionist because they're first. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Keep going. The deadly sin of a one. Take well, it it's basically anger, um, but more specifically resentment. They believe that when people don't follow the rules or control, or they're able to control their emotions, that they don't have their lives in check. And so they kind of think of, well, quote, good people suppress their anger. They feel like they have to pick up the slack. Yeah. And so, um, one, just a few quick things about them. Errors jump out at them. They're, uh, they see any little thing and I can attest this because like I said, my dad is a one. And so I, um, inadvertently kind of pulled some of these things in my life, but uh, errors just kind of jump out to them. Uh, they have a high expectations of others and themselves. You'll always know when a one is around because everyone kind of just 
you know, bucks up and does right. And every, when they walk into the room, it's kind of like everyone just goes on high alert. Well, yeah, because ones have high expectations of themselves and others. Sure, yeah. Uh, they can be very controlling. Um, their behavior is a major priority. Controlling their behavior is a major priority. They often impose their high standards on other people. And so and there is a number that I have in my head that's probably... Um, but with the one a whole lot, and there's a reason that I have them in my head. We'll get to that in just a second. They don't think they're being critical of others. They honestly feel like they're helping you and trying to make you better. Um, I attest to this. I have experienced this. They, they want you to present yourself well to others. They want you to be taken seriously. They want you to be um, respected, and it's out of a place of love, but to most other people, it feels like it's out of a place of judgment. See, I kind of understand that because whenever I'm in a healthy version of myself, I actually point to a one. Right. And so, like, I, you know, can sometimes pose my high expectations of other people. And I can kind of have professionistic uh, qualities, but... Um, but I actually resort to that whenever I'm I'm healthy. And so I don't really get the of like always needing to be in control or always having, you know, OCD like qualities and stuff like that. But like I, I, I can attest to that. Ones often just have this fear of uh, not doing something perfectly. They have trouble adapting to those changes in life because that means they have to adapt. They have to try to refine something else. They have difficulty in just delegating things away because they have a fear of it not getting done properly and uh, they have this really big phobia of you know there's kind of this adage of done is better than uh, done is better than perfect and to them that is like the anti-golden rule whatever the opposite of the golden rule would be like the anti-golden I don't know how else that is but it's just like the scariest thing ever to them and so that is a real struggle for them as well the wings of a one, of course, are the two. And in a wing, and a one with a two wing can be more extroverted. They're warm, they're helpful, they're empathetic. They seem to be more uh, critical and controlling on the low side of a two. Uh, effective in problem solving. They're generous at church, education, community, government, family. They talk too much and try to accomplish too many tasks in a day. Um, they have a more rapid pace of speech. They can easily turn teaching into preaching, and they readily meet people's needs. What about a one-wing nine, Elaine? So with the nine, with the wing nine, they're very introverted and detached and relaxed. They're more idealistic and objective. They often think before they speak to avoid saying something wrong. And so, like, you have that perfectionistic of, like, I need to be perfect in my relationships. I don't need to say the wrong thing. Or before giving a speech or sh sharing a project, they're like, well, I have to think about this before I say it just so I know, like, not to say the wrong thing, to look that because if I say the wrong thing, I may look stupid or that I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, they're outwardly more calm and they mull over decisions. They often think about it before they, you know, before they act, before they speak, and they can be a lot more laid back and easygoing. Mm -hmm. And so the stress, they take on the poor qualities of a four. And that's kind of what you were saying. Just mm -hmm. saying to go the opposite end for you. Uh, they can definitely start, you know, drumming up that inner critic. It starts working overtime in them, and they need, the need for perfection just goes into overdrive. Um, they're more resentful of others having fun. They're more sensitive to criticism and depression, and they lose confidence and feel unlovable. 
And a lot of that stems from the idea of if they're not doing something um, well, they're incapable of being loved. Well, and also like kind of balancing the one and the four, you know, four's biggest thing is the fear of abandonment. And so if if a one is taking on the poor quality of a four, they almost feel that if they don't work perfectly, if things don't look exactly how they should, then they'll be abandoned. Right. And so security for uh, for for one is they take on the great qualities of a seven. Um, they're more self-accepting. They're spontaneous and fun and open to try new things. Inner critics get quieter, not as hard on themselves, and they shift their attention from what's wrong about the world to what's good and right about it. This is the one that I was saying for like an unhealthy one. I feel like sevens would be like their kryptonite because in that moment, they uh, they see those people as fun and carefree and able to express themselves because that's kind of the characteristics of a seven. I know we haven't talked about that yet, but sevens are very carefree. They're energetic. They're the life of the party. And and for a healthy one, of course, like it makes sense. That's kind of how they, they become. But for an unhealthy an unhealthy one, there'd be a lot of jealousy and resentment. Well, yeah, because sevens don't necessarily care about their image or perfection or like having things look, you know, the way you know, sevens are typically more flowy and and ones who are in a, a negative mindset are like, well, I wish I could be flowy. I wish I didn't have to have things perfect or like, why do sevens feel like they don't have to be perfect? Right. And so how do ones better love themselves, love others and love God? I think the biggest thing comes down to uh, just realizing that God doesn't expect you to be perfect. We're not. We live in a fallen world. We live in a time where we, we sin. There's sin happening. We live in a sinful place. We have sinned. We're not perfect. We cannot be perfect. Perfection is an idol that can never be reached. It is a it's a destination that doesn't exist. It is literally like chasing the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. No matter what level you think you get to, uh, just beyond that, it's almost like, I don't know, I, in my head, I'm picturing like this weird secret society, you know, it's like uh, you get to one level. I don't know. I'm thinking Scientology is what I'm thinking of in my head. It's like just beyond the next wall, uh, you get to the next room and it's like, oh, there's just another tier waiting for you to try to achieve. And there's never actually an end. It's just always a way of dragging you deeper and deeper. And so to realize, wait, right where I'm at, in my imperfections, in my flaws, God loves me and I can love myself and other people love me. And to realize as a as a one, as a perfectionist, sometimes your tendencies to push um, your agenda or into you as a one, you're thinking more of like to help others be taken more seriously, to be looked better upon, whatever comes across as judgment. Mm -hmm. And whenever you can realize that, you really understand um, what that main thing is that pushes people away and actually makes people other people frustrated with you and helps you to, to break out of that mold and to get free from that. The biggest thing that ones need to know is that God actually embraces imperfection. Yeah. He absolutely. embraces your mistakes he knows that you're not going to be perfect. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He's the only one that could be perfect. And and whenever we make mistakes, especially whenever, you know, we're pursuing him, yeah. like 
it's okay. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to look pretty. But as long as we're chasing after him, as long as we're loving the people around us, God's like, it's okay to make a mistake. And ones just need to hear that you don't have to be perfect to be good or lovable. Yeah, that's that's literally the sum up of all of that right there. So with that, let's bring Justin and Nicole back in to close this episode out. One more thing, and I'll let uh, whichever of you want to take it or both of you uh, can ask your own, but we like to kind of sum things up by just asking a simple question instead of like asking you guys a final question we want to present it to you guys to ask the audience um a final question so around the the idea of eights and nines or just the gut triad in general um trying to be better people all of this what's one final question you'd like to pose to those listening just to kind of get them thinking what is it that you're looking for in the world mm-hmm. that you ought to be looking for in God? Like, what is it that that you're trying to find in people or your circumstances or whatever it is that is in the world? You'll never be able to fully grasp it in the world because God is the only source of that thing. That's good. Yeah, that is good. That's really good. Justin, where can people find God as a dad? iTunes, Spotify, uh, Podbean, Google Podcasts, whatever, wherever they find yours, probably I'm assuming it's in the same place. Yeah. So cool. then we'll find it. We'll link to it in the uh, the show notes below. Yeah. And y'all have any closing comments, thoughts, anything before we hop off here? Uh, I I love you guys' show. I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. Um, to keep it up, I'm 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 a big big fan. I mean, I I think what drew me first to your show was was the the title. I really like the title because I I like that uh, I like the idea of recklessness in pursuit of God because. I just think uh, we've got to break out as a, as a Christian subculture of this idea that God is really scared of mistakes. Uh, and that if we make a mistake in pursuit of him, that he will be angry about that or there will be retribution of any kind. I just think as I look at my kids, like all I want is for them to find something they like and then go after recklessly. And I'll be right there with them through their mistakes. But that's what I want. Like that, that core thing of what I want in all of my kids is to know what they want and to go after it with everything. Um, and I think that's what God wants for us. And if the reckless, reckless pursuit is after him, then that's, that's the ideal, you know? So I love the idea of going after him with no regard for what's, you know, for like making mistakes or right or wrong or whatever, just being like, as long as it's you, God, it doesn't matter. And I think he honors that in a big, big way. And so I, I love that that's your attitude kind of with this with the show. So. I really appreciate that because growing up, I had a lot of that fear of, one mistake and God is just up there, you know, just gone. And, uh, that was kind of, I wouldn't say it's the environment I grew up in, but it was inadvertently the environment I grew up in. Like these people held that mindset, whether they realized it or not. And, uh, and that's been a hard thing, honestly, like even still there's little times I, you know, I, I screw up, I'm human. And then I, I'm like, I have to fight these thoughts of like, oh man, God's going to punish me for this. I'm going to be like instantaneously, like something, you know, the next bad thing that comes down the pipeline, oh, well, that's God's punishment for my little mistake, you know. And so I really appreciate that. That speaks to me yeah. a whole lot. So, For sure. Yeah, the first episode that we did on, on our show is titled Mistakes Are Good, where we just talk about, like, we're saying all the time to our kids whenever they make mistakes, you know, they get upset about them. And we're just like, hey, James, Cam, mistakes, they're really good because they're the best, they're the best teachers. Yeah. And as long as you learn from them, 
I just think God's saying the same thing about all of our mistakes. You know, people beat themselves up all the time about, I mean, even if they're not little mistakes, even if they're huge mistakes, you know, like the faster you can get out of shame is the quicker you'll get to God and to improvement and to growing. And so I'm all about it. I, 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 yeah, I love that's kind of your heart and your attitude. So keep it Very up. Very cool. Thank you so much. Thank Justin you. and Nicole, y'all are awesome. Thanks for hopping on here and talking about your numbers and being vulnerable. We really appreciate it and we look forward to connecting with you guys soon. All right, cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Really fun. We want to say thank you to Justin and Nicole one more time for joining us to talk about the Enneagram. Be sure to go to the show notes below, follow that link, and find them at God is a Dad, a podcast where they share their hearts on parenting, uh, how God relates to us, and have deep conversation. That's something we're passionate about here at The Reckless Pursuit. So we would recommend you go over there and find them, show them some love. If you enjoy this episode, once again, we ask you to share it on with a friend and go and leave us an honest review. That helps us know what we're doing well and how we can better serve you guys in the future. Go click join, be a part of the Reckless community. We want to hear your voice. And as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk soon.